hear from the word of the Lord in 2 Peter. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Oh, how often do we forget that God is not like us? He is timeless. He is eternal. Let us sing to remember. Let us sing to remember that he is working, that he is patient. We can trust him. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast And our eternal home He is reigning Under the shadow of thy throne Thy saints have dwelt secure Sufficient is thy arm alone And our defense is sure just sung that God is our dwelling place in ages past, so in this world, and we also sang that it is our full expectation and our hope, our full expectation that God is also our eternal home. As Christians, we look forward to what the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. So we look forward to a place, but even more than that, we look forward to God himself as our eternal home. Welcome to our 
online service, if you're visiting, we're glad you're with us. Uh, we would say this is one of the very few completely good and virtuous ways of spending screen time. Um, now granted, the three of us you'll see in the next hour will be somewhat biased about that. But I would also say we're not asking you to trust in us and what we say. We're asking you to ascribe worth and value to our King, to our God, to our Savior, Jesus. Let me read from Exodus 15. This is a song of Moses. Ryan later will be preaching from another song of Moses later in the Bible. Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord, Yahweh, is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he has cast into the sea. His chosen officers, they were sunk in the Red Sea. Verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on your mountain, the place, O Lord, that you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. My name is Ron Gizzi. I'm the executive pastor here at Desert Springs Church. And today I'd like to update you on not what we're doing locally, although we're still very active in that area, but what we're doing cross-culturally uh, in different regions and parts of the world. Let me start with Guatemala. Our partners there in Guatemala, even a few weeks ago, discerned a big need in outlying areas of um, elderly, of widows, of single moms, many of whom don't have family that can help them. And so uh, what our partners have done is they've taken what little they have out of their savings. They've purchased uh, quantities of beans and rice and other stables. They've, they've, they've put them in bags, put these bags on the bed of a pickup truck and headed out to remote areas. So last week, uh, Josiah and our missions department said, we need to come alongside and help our partners in these efforts. So we'll help to fund in large part 80 to 100 of these families or singles over the next four months. What I'll do is I'll include some photos of what's already happening in the email I send to the church in a few days. If you don't get those emails and you'd like to, uh, go onto our church website. You'll see a red banner at the top. Just click on that and that will take you to the recent updates and a way that you could sign up to get those updates. Second and finally, the Navajo Res. So an area just west of us, a couple hours, has been designated, if you're following the news, as one of the top hotspots in our whole country per capita for the spread of this COVID-19 virus. So similarly to Guatemala, there are elderly and single moms that don't have family that need to get groceries. That's the biggest need. The public is not allowed in any part of the Navajo Res at this point. It's closed off. Uh, but... Our missions department has found someone to partner with who is in Gallup 
uh, and does have access to the res, uh, a Christian relief organization for the Navajo res. And so what we're asking you to do is to drop off staples or food supplies on Tuesday from 9 to 11 a.m. here at the church. It'll be at the front entrance. You don't have to come into the building at all. Uh, we'll have people there that can get that inside. And if you've got stuff that needs to be refrigerated into a refrigerator. Um, we'll be still be collecting for Los Ranchos, our local elementary school, the families there. But in addition, you'll see an area for uh, the Navajo Res. People on the Res need, need baby formula, diapers, adult depends, toiletries, disinfectants and masks and gloves, if you have any, bulk food items, children's lunch items, and toilet paper. So any of those would be greatly appreciated. And again, you can drop those off on uh, Tuesday. What Josiah will do, our missions director, is transport those out to Gallup uh, a day or two later, and then that relief organization will get to them to the homes where they're needed. What is it that fuels and drives that motivates us to help others? Well, it's really what we're doing in this service. It's the gospel. So... Uh, it's the songs that we sing and God's word that we study and meditate on. So pray with me, please, for our service. Father, we thank you for our spiritual health, uh, those of us that call on the name of Jesus. We know that he provides contentment and peace and purpose. He provides a kind of health that does not come from medicines or surgeries or vaccines. Thank you that he is our health and our salvation. He is what truly sustains us. May we be satisfied, Father, in your steadfast love. May we be satisfied in your steadfast love more than our satisfaction in a job or money or even friends or family. Help us to ponder anew through these songs and through the scriptures who you are, God, what you do, and the salvation that you offer us in Christ. In his good and great name, amen. Let us again sing and praise our sovereign God. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is your health and salvation. Come all who hear, now to his temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord above all things, so wondrously reigning. Sheltering you under his wings, and so gently sustaining. Have you not seen all that is needful has been sent by his gracious ordain? Praise to the Lord who will prosper your work and defend you. Surely his goodness and mercy shall daily attend you. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do If with His love He befriends you 
praise to the Lord, oh, let all that is in me adore him. All that hath life and breath, come now with praises before him. Let the amen sound from his people again. Let the forever adore. Let the amen, let the amen sound from his people again. Let the forever adore. Psalm 139 is a great psalm of God's presence and his providence. Please listen to God's word. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. Altogether, You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall take hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
with me Fast falls the eventide The darkness deepens Lord with me abide When other helpers fail and comforts me Help of the helpers abide with me. Thou on my head in early youth did smile, and though rebellious and perverse meanwhile. Thou hast not left me, though I oft left thee. On to the close, Lord, abide with me. I need thy presence every But thy grace can foil the tempter's cry Who like thyself, my guide and stake and be Through cloud and sunshine abide with me He abides forever I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight, tears lose their bitterness. We know this is true. Where is thy sting, death? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still. Abide with me Hold thou thy cross Before my closing eyes Shine through the gloom And point me to the skies Heaven's morning rains Shadows flee in life and death, Lord, abide with me. In life and death, Lord, abide with me. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your presence. We thank you for your presence in these times when many of us, maybe all of us, are lonely. Thank you for your blessings in the spiritual realm for those who call on the name of Jesus for salvation. Thank you that you said in the book of Ephesians that you have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the spiritual realm. Thank you, Father, that this spiritual realm is actually more real than the physical realm that we operate in every day. 
Thank you for your presence, Father, on, on three levels, all of which we find in the scriptures. Thank you that you are present everywhere. As we read or heard in Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? We can't flee anywhere, nor would we want to. So in these lonely times, thank you that you are present everywhere in the universe. There is no place, no thing hidden from you. Father, thank you that in these lonely times, you are present with believers in even a deeper sense. For those who have believed in Jesus and his work on the cross, his death and resurrection, you have come to tent, to tabernacle, to dwell inside of believers by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that even though alone or with one or two family members in an apartment or a home, you are present with us by your Spirit. Father, we thank you finally and thirdly that in these lonely times you are present when the church is gathered. We're not gathered now, but Father, thank you for the longing that you put in our hearts to come together corporately to sing shoulder to shoulder, hearing the voice of our neighbor a few feet away, to sit under the preaching of your word and respond to it, both individually and with others during and after that sermon. Father, thank you for creating that temple, that figurative temple in our time and day. The local church gathered under and around the preaching and the name of Jesus. We thank you for all of these things. Thank you finally that you've created us as embodied souls. God, we, we feel at times we'd rather be a soul and not a body since these bodies are so prone to pain and suffering and death. But God, in your wisdom, you've created us as both. You made Jesus as a soul and a body. And we will have bodies, resurrected bodies for all of eternity. So we thank you for our soul, and our body, and that you are working on each. Thank you for the goodness in the name and work and presence of Jesus. Amen. When I fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast When the tempter would prevail He will hold me fast I could never keep my own Through life's fearful path For my love is often cold He must hold me fast He will hold me fast He'll not 
Lord, you will hold us. We give praise to you this day afresh for what Moses said that underneath are the everlasting arms. You hold us, Lord. You hold us safe and secure. You are strong and you are for us. Our God is with us. We thank you, Lord, for meeting us just where we are, spread out across this city, perhaps even the state, and others tuning in from some other remote distance, Lord. You are the omnipresent God. You are with us. We pray, Lord, you would be near to us today. We pray you would move. We pray you'd work. We pray that strong arm of salvation would be effective in our hearts and minds. And Lord, that you would strengthen us by your strength and by your joy. So give us eyes to see as we turn to your word and look at it for some time now, Lord. Help us, show us, reveal your goodness and glory once again. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, today... We begin a new series through some psalms that I think are very apropos to our times. I've been spending much time in the psalms of the 90s in the past month or so. Psalms of God's righteous rule, we could call them. It's a familiar place in my Bible, not just uh, in the last month, not just in days of COVID-19, in fact, I had to restrain myself from calling this series Living in the 90s. 
Because it seems sometimes, like I do, live in the 90s of the Psalms. And of course, as a child of the 80s, born in 74, but grew up mostly through the 80s, as a child of the 80s, I'm rather partial to the 80s and not the 90s, and I'm also a little allergic to gimmicky sermon series titles. And so I couldn't bring myself to call this series Living in the 90s. But all joking and puns aside, that really is my hope that over the next several weeks, we together as a church will be living in the 90s of the Psalms, which culminate in Psalm 100, which is really a a crescendo of praise and exaltation. And we'll get to that Psalm 100 in due course, but today we begin with Psalm 90. And so if you don't have a Bible in front of you just yet, we pray, we, we, we'd ask you'd get a Bible in front of you. Uh, we pray you'd open up a Bible, that you would be familiar with a Bible, whether in hard copy or electronic form, but get God's Word in front of you this morning, and then we pray as well that it would be in front of you often throughout the rest of the week. Psalms 90 to 100 go together. I'm not the first to suggest that they go together. I've not selected 11 random psalms or simply decided to preach on some psalms that are my favorite. In fact, let me take a few minutes to explain that some more, that these psalms go together. Many of the psalms in the 90s are what we call enthronement psalms because they speak of God's righteous reign. And if you look down in your Bibles, right before the heading for Psalm 90, you'll see in all caps probably, it says Book 4. The Psalter, you might know, is made up of five books, or five sections. And a similar phrase is found at the end of each section, cluing us in that we're coming to the end of a section, a conclusion's being drawn, and a new section is about to begin. You may want to actually follow along and see it for yourselves. Look at Psalm 41 at the end. Psalm 41, verse 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Such concludes book one. And then turn to Psalm 72. Psalm 72 and verse 18 Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 19, blessed be his glorious name forever. And then Psalm 89, go there. That's the end of book 3. Psalm 89, verse 52, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Thus leading to our book 4, beginning with Psalm 90. You could read Psalm 106 at the end there to see the conclusion of book 4. Now, I can't take the time to show you today, but there seems to be a progression and development within these five books of the Psalms. They have a general chronological development, moving from the life and covenant with King David through the waywardness of God's people in later generations, to the eventual exile of God's people to Babylon, what we call the Babylonian captivity, 
And then all that in anticipation of the return from Babylon back to the land and a full restoration of God's people. A general chronological development. There's also a messianic development moving from one book to the others. In other words, they grow in an anticipation of the coming Messiah, whom we now know is Jesus the Christ. You'll see that our psalm, Psalm 90, is attributed to Moses. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. And you might be thinking, well, Moses, isn't he earlier in the story? If this is David on from there, what is Moses doing here so far into the Psalms in Psalm 90? Well, yes, it would seem to break the chronological development of these books of Psalms. But think that in the days of exile, in the days of Babylonian captivity, God's people needed to be reminded where it all began. They needed to get back to basics. They needed foundational teaching. In the days of being in a foreign land, in days of severe trouble and feeling displaced, they needed to be reminded of what Moses learned about God's supremacy and his reign. That's book four. And Psalms 90 to 99 especially unpack all arenas of God's reign in creation. In what seems like a seemingly chaotic world. In times that are especially chaotic and difficult. We need rehearsing and praise about God's righteous rule in all parameters of his creation. That's what we need right now. So if I've lost you over the last few minutes talking about the books of the Psalms and the structure and whether Psalms go together or not, no problem. Uh, you can safely leave all that aside for another day when you want to uh, learn more about how the Psalms fit together. The point is they do go together. These Psalms, 90 to 100, seem to go together, and we need them now as much as ever. So let's begin our time of living in the 90s. Let me read Psalm 90 for us. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. 
Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The reformer John Calvin, in his classic work of theology, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, sort of famously begins that work with this line, nearly all the wisdom that we possess consists of two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. I think Moses would agree. That's what this psalm is about, knowing ourselves and knowing God, knowing the difference between us and God, and knowing how we can properly relate to God as his creatures. There are three pairs of themes in this psalm, all relating people to God and God to people. The first of these will take a little longer than the others because it's so foundational. And the first is this. We are fleeting. God is forever. We're fleeting, God is forever. Notice verse 1, which is something like a thesis statement, and we'll come back to it more than once. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. This is profound, especially when we consider who wrote that and under what circumstances. Remember, Moses was the man who led the people of Israel through the wilderness. And where was God leading them through Moses? Well, he was leading them to a promised land from Egypt. Yes, quite a long way around. It'll be a whole 40 years in the desert. But they were to land eventually in the promised land, that land of blessing that God first promised to Abraham. In Numbers 20, Moses finds out after decades of leading the people in the wilderness that because of his temper, he would not be allowed into the land. He would die before the people entered the land. He would see it from afar. He'd be buried there, yes, but he would not go in with these people. These people that he's put up with for all these years, these complaining, sinful people, all that that he's put up with is in view of entering the promised land someday, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land with peace on all sides. Not only does Moses get that bad news in Numbers 20, but it's also in Numbers 20 that his sister Miriam is struck with leprosy because she said some bad words to Moses' wife. It's in the same chapter that Moses' brother and right-hand man and the high priest of Israel, Aaron, he dies. So if Psalm 90 was written around the time of Numbers 20 or after, and many scholars think so, 
that it makes sense that it's a psalm wrestling with death and disappointment. Moses will die before entering the promised land. Aaron dies. How do you process all this? What's your takeaway? Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You have been our home. You have been our safety. You have been our peace on all sides. It's not that the land isn't important. It will be in the plan of God. But for Moses, without the land, he must trust God alone. He must find rest in God alone. And from there, Moses ping-pongs back and forth, comparing God and man in the rest of the psalm. He says that God is forever and eternal. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's eternal. He's unchanging. He's self-existent. And we human beings are just the opposite. Our lives are fleeting and finite and fragile. We are like dust. You return man to dust, verse 3, which comes from Genesis, where God created man from the dust in chapter 2. And then after the fall, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, we call that the fall, it was then that God said, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In other words, you will die, and your body will waste away. We don't like to think of such things. The funeral home will sell you a waterproof, airtight casket. But it cannot finally and forever hold back the decay of dead bodies. The advancement of medicine will likely stretch out the actuarial tables in years to come. In other words, we'll live longer. But no matter how far medicine advances, it can't keep us from death. Never mind the cause of any one death. The death rate so far has been one of one or 100%. The best genes in our body, the, maybe the perfect diet, the most consistent and well-crafted program of exercise, even if those things could be discovered, let alone achieved, they won't keep a body out of the grave forever. We shall return to dust. Not God. Our God doesn't die. Verse 4, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. A thousand years for God is like a blip on the screen, a blink of the eye. It's like a, a day that's in the rearview mirror. 30,000 days is 82 years in human years, we could say. And so 30,000 days would be a good long life for us. But God's 
eternality means that he's on a different timetable, and a thousand years for him is like a day. On a very small level, parents of toddlers can understand and appreciate this difference. Because little kids deal with time differently than their adult parents do, especially on long road trips. Mom and dad know how this goes. They know how long it is. Maybe they've had this journey before. They know these mile markers. And kids are oblivious to this, and they can't stop asking, are we there yet? But verse 4 here doesn't just mean that God is eternal. It, it means that, but it means more. It says that God is not limited by time. And that he's even outside of time. So just think theologically here. We can say it's both and. God is both in time and he's outside of time. There is a sense in which God operates in time and this is the one we're familiar with and so he hears us when we pray he's not simply put the world like a clock on the shelf and left it and then he's out of this time and not interacting with us no he's actively at work he's sovereign we get that God operates in time as we know it but there is a sense in which the infinite God is outside of time. Just like he's not limited by space, we call that omnipresent, he's not limited by time. It's not just that he knows the future, he's there. The future is present for this eternal God. And because we are creatures born in time, even tethered to time so rigidly. None of us can change it, not even Doc from Back to the Future. We can't imagine. It hurts our brains to try to grasp that a God this infinite, so eternal, so everlasting, sees the before, the now, and the to come all at once. He's outside of time. And there is comfort for us to be had both in his in-time presence and his out-of-time reality. He's with us. He hears us. He knows what's going on, not just in the future, but he knows today what you're dealing with. He knows what we're going through. And he's actively at work now. But he's outside of time. And that can encourage us that this God is not riding the roller coaster of emotions like we are. He's not responding to what's coming next like we do. He's bigger than that. Now back to us. Not only are we like dust, verse 3, but then there's a string of more metaphors for our fleeting, fragile lives. Verse 5. We're swept away as with a flood. Kids aren't supposed to play in arroyos because the water can come real fast. And death is like that. Verse 5, our lives are like a dream. Dreams seem like they go long, but they don't. And then the next morning, you remember just a slice of it. At least that's my experience. There was something weird. This happened, this happened. I don't know. I can't piece it all together. Lives are like that. Death is like that. 
We're like grass, verse 5, and then into verse 6. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. In the climate of ancient Israel, a morning rain for them, it could produce grass that very day. But then the scorching sun of the afternoon could kill that same grass off. Our lives are like that. Or as Moses puts it later in the psalm, in verse 9, our lives are like a sigh. Or as James puts it in James chapter 4, our lives are vapors or mists. It appears for a little while and it's gone. Our lives are short. Even if we live to 70 or 80, as it says in verse 10, or if we live to 90 or 95, we are soon gone and we fly away. Kids, you got to learn this now. Don't wait till you're old. I know it seems like you will never be 16. It can't come. It's so far out there. I know it seems like this semester will never end. And I know you've heard from older people. The older they get, the more they say it. It goes by fast. It does. At 45, I'm just creaking over the top of the hill. I'm on the back nine, as they say. So take it from a guy who's somewhere in the middle of all this. It's surprising how fast it goes. It's surprising how short life is. And so all of us, whatever our age, are here confronted with what we generally try to avoid, our mortality. Unless the Lord returns before I die, I will die. You will die. This confronts us with the uncertainty of the length of our lives. You don't know how long you have. I don't know how long I have. I don't know about the timing or the circumstances of my death. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know where I'll be. This confronts us with the fragility of our lives and the fragility of our bodies. Our bodies are remarkably resilient. I mean, just watch America's Funniest Home Videos or Fails on YouTube. A lot of people do some stupid things and don't die. But uh, cancer gets inside a body and wrecks it. A little virus kills thousands thousands there's the certainty of our death that's confronting us here I don't know how it'll end I don't know where it'll end for me but I know it will end and there is the universality of death it will end the same for everyone whatever happened right before their death may be different one to another whatever happens after death will be different for some than others but death itself will come for everyone it is a great leveler. It doesn't discriminate. Rich, poor, this age, some other age. 
just making you uncomfortable. Good. Carl Truman once pointed out that in the Victorian era, death was pondered and talked about quite freely, but sex was taboo. No one spoke of sex. But in our day, those are completely reversed. You can hardly watch a commercial break without some talk of sex or seeing something sensual. But death? Oh, let's not, let's not go there. At least not until the next funeral. At least not until the cancer is terminal. Terminal. What a euphemism for something so ugly and powerful. And so one small benefit of living in days of COVID-19 is that we are inescapably aware of our weakness, our helplessness. We wear masks at the grocery store if we dare go because an invisible virus might float out of someone's nose or mouth and go to ours, we breathe it in and it makes us sick or kills us. COVID-19 exposes, it exposes what's always been the case. We're fragile, these lives are fleeting. We're weak, we're helpless, and so that's why Ecclesiastes bids us to consider that the funeral home is better than the house of party because there's far more clarity about life and death and priorities and the purpose of life, the meaning of death. It's all more clear at the funeral home than at the party. But as we face up to our mortality afresh this morning, as we own our fragility and finiteness again, let's not forget to keep our eyes on our eternal God, unchanging, infinite, self-sustaining, timeless, and a dwelling place for all generations. But before we can fully take comfort in that we have to actually understand the problem at a deeper level than we have so far so secondly we are sinful and God is wrathful verses 7 to 11 explain to us why we die verse 7 we are brought to an end by your anger by your wrath we are dismayed You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. God warned Adam and Eve in the garden. The day you eat of the tree. Just one tree in a garden of plentiful trees and fruit. But the day you eat of the one tree God said not to eat of, you will surely die. And they ate. And on that day, they began to die physically. They didn't die immediately. In fact, they lived quite long. But they didn't live forever. They died. 
on that day, when they did sin, they immediately died spiritually, we could say. And apart from God's grace, they would, and all of us would, die eternally. We call that hell. The day you eat of the tree, you'll surely die. This is the reason we die. Partly because Adam and Eve sinned and they represented us, all of us. But also because we've, we've confirmed, we've ratified their decision with all of our own sin. And this also explains why life is, as it says in verse 10, toil and trouble. Because of sin, this world is under a curse. It's not just a judgment to come. It is toil and trouble every day. What is sin, though? I mean, if you're not a Christian, you might not be so sure what sin is. It's not God establishing arbitrary rules, and then when we don't do them, he gets mad because he said, do X and you did Y. No, his ways are perfect and right. He prescribes for us what is best for us, for human flourishing. And when we go against that, when we go against what he has said for us and for human flourishing, we call that sin, or as it says here, iniquities. That's like a blemish, a moral blemish on our souls. Iniquities means guilt. We're guilty. Even the secret stuff. He knows it all. And how does a just and holy God respond to sin? Well, verse 7 says anger. Verse 7 and 9 both say wrath. This is our death. We don't just die because, well, you can't live forever. We die because we've rebelled against our Creator. And he's mad about it. As Paul put it in Romans 5, the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin. So consider it. Like verse 11 here says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath? Consider it. Ponder it. If you want to know for sure that God will bring a final judgment to humanity in the end of time, well, you can just look at any death right now. Now, some might wonder, am I saying that people die because they've committed some particular sin that day? Is death some immediate judgment from God for something someone did especially bad recently? And a related question would go along the lines of, is something like COVID-19 God's judgment upon us corporately? Well, let me direct your attention to Luke chapter 13. Turn there, Luke chapter 13. And there we find similar questions that are put to Jesus, and he answers them, or we could say he redirects them. Luke 13, there were some present at that very time who told him, told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. 
So here they are making sacrifices, minding their own business, and Pilate comes in and kills them. Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? In other words, why are you asking me about them specifically? He anticipates what these people were actually getting at. But they were wrong if they thought the Galileans were worse sinners and that's why they died. No, verse 3, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And then Jesus brings up another occasion. Verse 4, those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. What Jesus means here is that every judgment, every calamity is a warning about the final judgment, the last calamity, the worst of them all. So no, no one dies because they're worse sinners. No one dies because they did something particularly bad that day, necessarily. But the lesson from every death is that there is a perishing that we need to flee. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You might say, well, how, how can we avoid this perishing then? What, what does it mean to repent? And, and where's the hope in Psalm 90 for all this? Is, is there any good news in Psalm 90, or is this just warning and funeral and death and short lives? Well, Moses alludes to God's grace in a variety of ways in the next section. So notice in verse 13, you've got God's pity. Verse 14, God's steadfast love. Verse 16, God's glorious power. Verse 17, God's favor. He alludes to those things in the character of God. But it's not until the coming of Jesus Christ that we begin to see how God is both just and saving. And so Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. We deserve death. He took our death. He took our payment. He took our wage. Jesus took the death that we deserve And so in Hebrews 2, we find that Jesus partook of flesh and blood, that through his death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that's the devil, and deliver all of those who, through fear of death, which is all of us, deliver them from lifelong slavery. Jesus died to remove the threat of death, so that even if we die, we don't die, but we live. Jesus' death and resurrection transforms death for the, for the Christian. Jesus said in John 11, I think I quoted it last Sunday, I am the resurrection and the life. Though one dies, yet shall he live. Jesus not only bore the death 
that we deserve. He bore the wrath that we deserve. And so it wasn't that long ago that we were in 1 Thessalonians. Let me remind you of chapter 5. Verse 9, God has not destined us as believers for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Or as it says of these Thessalonian Christians earlier in the letter, back in chapter 1, they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They had turned from their idols to God. There's that word repent. To repent. Remember, Jesus said in Luke 13, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Unless you turn from whatever you were trusting in for your eternal state and turn to Jesus alone. That's called faith on this side of the equation. Repentance turning from, faith turning to, and clinging to. There is salvation. Now Moses couldn't see all that. He didn't know all that. Not with that specificity. Moses had to more generally trust in God's character and promises, God's pity and steadfast love. But now, in Jesus, it gets really specific. It's about his death and resurrection. You must believe that he died for your sins and was raised on the third day, and you must put your trust in him. And if you'll do that today, if you've done that by his grace, now God is your dwelling place in a whole new and fuller way. Remember, Moses said, the Lord is our dwelling place in all generations. Well, Jesus shows up, and John says of him, he dwelt among us. The incarnate God dwelt among us. And we find out that when he died, was raised, and ascended, he later sent his spirit to indwell all of his followers. The Holy Spirit now dwells within us. We are his dwelling place. God is our dwelling place now in Christ and in his spirit in all generations in a way that Moses could never have fully understood. God is merciful. And yet we're still needy, even if we've understood this mercy. And so, third, we are needy, and God is ongoingly merciful. He's not only merciful in salvation or in our eternal destiny, but now he's merciful. He is ongoingly our help. And that's good because we're still needy. So verses 12 to 17 have a string of prayer requests. And by implication, these are things that we should also pursue, not just pray for. These are things that we should want and seek and work towards. But we need God's help. And so we must pray. Pray, like verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Oh, how relevant 
This is for what he's already said about our fleeting, finite, fragile lives. Our, our days are few. He's already established that quite painfully. So Lord, help us to understand the shortness of our lives. Help us to number our days. Lord, help us to not put up blinders about the possibility of death, about the length of life or the brevity of it. Lord, teach us to number our days that we might live wisely. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Both both verse 13 and verse 15 have a distinct wilderness aroma about them. That's where Moses wrote these words. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil and, and done evil. The distinct wilderness aroma of verse 13 and 15 is that in those years of the wilderness wanderings, those people where they were quite spiritually dark. They were stubborn, rebellious, hard-hearted people, and persistently so. And God, in his faithfulness and kindness, was disciplining them. And that's why it took 40 years to, to move in what should have been maybe a month's journey. God was disciplining his people. That's what verse 13 and 15 talk about. So there's that wilderness specificity to them. But verse 14, notice that one. That's a timeless prayer request. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Oh, what a boomerang we have on the whole of Psalm 90. Sigh. At the beginning, satisfaction at the end. Judgment leading to mercy. Toil and trouble leading to wisdom and meaning and purpose. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. His chesed love. His covenant love. His unchanging love, his love which is rooted in himself and not in us. Lord, satisfy us with that. Make us rejoice and be glad all our days. It's a verse like that that led John Piper years ago to write a book on what he coined Christian hedonism. The book is Desiring God. Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. If you've never heard that before, you might find that jarring. Hedonist? Someone who pursues pleasure? Yeah, but he said Christian Hedonist. He introduces the idea with these principles. The longing to be happy is a universal human experience, and by itself, it's good, not sinful. Of course, it has sinful expressions, sure, but the longing to be happy is not sinful but good. And the deepest, most enduring happiness that's to be found is only in God. 
So true and lasting happiness is not just from God, it's in God, and more specifically, it's in Christ. You think of how often in the Psalms we're commanded to rejoice, to delight yourself in the Lord. Or when it's stated, like it is in Psalm 16, in your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. Now here is a verse worthy of your memorization and your meditation and your morning prayers. Pray it when you wake up. If you've got no Bible and no time to patiently, thoughtfully pray before the Lord in the morning, just say this, satisfy us, Lord, this morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad throughout our day and throughout our lives. Verse 16, he says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power. Show us, Lord, show us your work. Show us your glorious power. This is how we'll be satisfied. This is how we'll rejoice and be glad all our days. And then the last verse Let the favor of the Lord be upon us. How? Well, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. That means make our labors meaningful and useful and lasting for your eternal purposes. This last request implies work on our part. The work of our hands. It's like uh, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. we got to labor, but we're God-dependent in our labor. He, He must build the house. He must stand on watch for us. He must establish the work of our hands. So put your hands to whatever work God would have you do and pray that he would make it meaningful lasting, useful for his glory. Teach us, Lord. Teach us how short our days are. Make us wise in the short days you give us. Satisfy us, Lord, with your love every day. Show us your glorious power. Establish the work of your hands. Why pray like this? Well, because we've begun to understand a little something about ourselves and our God. We've learned afresh that we are weak, finite, fragile, desperately needy, in trouble apart from his grace. But we have learned that our God is forever Eternal, infinite, unchanging, self-sustaining, sovereign over all creation. In charge of our eternal destinies. And so he's wrathful, but he has intervened. And his son has taken on that wrath, if we believe that to be true. 
And so he is just and loving. He's glorious in power. He is all satisfying. He is our dwelling place. Let's pray. Lord, may these be our prayers. Moses' request at the end of Psalm 90, Lord, may we say these often. May they shape us. What's more, may our weakness and your strength shape us and lead us to pray like this. Strengthen us in these days, Lord. Whatever we do, may it be for your glory, and would you bless it. And as you do, would you continue to show yourself glorious and powerful. I pray this in the one in whom you have most shown yourself glorious and powerful and loving, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Our music team has been working hard to put these psalms to music. So we have a new setting to Psalm 90 for us today. But if you would, if you would keep your Bibles open to Psalm 90 and look at the words, consider them as I sing, use this as a song of meditation as we dwell on these words and on these truths. And then as you pick up the melody, sing along. thousand years are to you a day, but like the grass our lives quickly fade, we turn to dust, we're swept away, we can't remain. We confess, Lord, we are weak, we need your wisdom. To see from everlasting to everlasting you, our God, our dwelling place, from everlasting to everlasting you, our God, our dwelling place, guide our hands by your grace. Make us glad all our days. Our secret sins you expose by light, and from your wrath we can hope to hide. All of our years are like a sigh, we can't remain. confess, Lord, we are weak. We need your wisdom to see from everlasting to everlasting you. Our God, our dwelling place, from everlasting to everlasting you. Our God, our dwelling By your grace, make us glad all our days. 
Son of Man was laid on the cross. You bore the wrath that was meant for us. Rising from death, victorious, you will Everlasting you, our God, our dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting you, our God, our dwelling place. Guide our hands by your grace, make us glad. to number our days make our hearts wise to trust your ways teach us to number our days make our hearts wise to trust your ways teach us to number our days make our hearts wise trust your ways teach us to number our days make our hearts wise to trust your ways from everlasting to everlasting you our God our dwelling place from everlasting to Everlasting you, our God, our dwelling place. Guide our hands by your grace. Make us glad all our days. Until you return, we still toil and strive. But with each day your love satisfies In you we hope we find true life And there remain I once was lost in darkest night And thought I knew the way The sin that promised joy in life Had led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own A rebel to your will And if you had not loved me first I would refuse you still but as I ran my hellbound race indifferent to the cost you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross and I beheld God's love displayed, you suffered in my place, you bore the wrath reserved. 
sing it, Christian. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so Although your commands could never come from me Oh, Father, use my ransom to life In any way you choose And let my song forever be my this service by reading, uh, by singing a hymn by Isaac Watts, a hymn based on Psalm 90. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Like Psalm 90, Isaac Watts points us in the direction of the past and the present and the future, and even eternity's future. And every single one of us has all of those in common. A past, a present, a future, and eternity to face. Do you have, though, God as your help? Him as your hope? Him as your shelter? Is he your eternal home? Well, the answer to that question can only be found affirmatively in Christ. All we have is Christ. That's all we claim. That's all we cling to. And so if you're not yet a Christian, we'd invite you, we'd plead with you to come to Christ, to cling to him, to turn from and to turn to and be saved and reconciled to this God who is holy and just, but loving and kind and near and powerful and our help. He's our dwelling place. If you have questions about that, maybe you're watching this, thinking, pondering, and finding it difficult to take the next step or maybe not sure exactly what that is, well, you can uh, email the church. One of our pastors will get in touch with you. 
um, info at dscabq.com. Let us know how we can serve you, even in these unusual days of not being able to do that in person. We would still love to do, would love to, to visit with you, to, to call you, to perhaps, perhaps do a Zoom uh, video with you or FaceTime. Well, let us know how we can help. We're here for you, and we're praying for you. DSC family, we're praying for you. We appreciate your prayers for us and for each other. May we press on with the Lord as our dwelling place. He is and has been and will be for all generations.